I think, and I genuinely believe over time that our data will become valuable from a monetary point of view to ourselves, i.e. we'll be able to earn money from our data. Much like, you know, you look at Facebook and Google, two of the largest companies in the world, how do they make money? Well, it's through our data. So why in the future can we as individuals not be able to make money from our own data? Steve Davies is a digital strategist who, aside from his work in the communications industry, has some very insightful views on the way we and others use personal data. In the last few months, he's delved deep into data-led topics including privacy, digital minimalism and cryptocurrency. And if you want someone to get you thinking about this stuff, there are a few better. Crypto is, it's like a new form of money. It's a new form of kind of thinking about money, storing money, transferring money, and kind of dealing with money. And it's based purely on data. So what happens when technology can disrupt what actual money is? That to me is quite a scary thought because if we can change what money is, then all the power structures, all the banks and so on, they could be completely disrupted. So it could be the biggest disruption that we've seen from technology today, bigger than the internet itself. After today's show, you'll want to learn more. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Third time lucky with this today, Steve. Yeah. We've tried, just just for anyone listening, we've tried to record this twice before. First time, half of it didn't come out. The second time, there was so much crackle over that we didn't even try. But fingers crossed... Today will work. It's nice to have this problem with actually someone else who podcasts. Can I put it that way? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, technology, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am, you know, it makes a mockery of the times I say to people, actually, do you know what? Podcasting's a breeze. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are, yeah. Saturday afternoon. But anyway, so yeah, thank you for coming back yet again. So you are the host of the New Influence podcast, and you've been doing that for, what, 18 months or so, I think? Yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, I just started off just kind of riffing into the microphone just kind of picking it up as you do tinkering on learning and it's just starting to evolve I haven't been podcasting that much lately actually because just because of work and you know life gets in the way but um yeah I'm I'm gonna take it up again because I miss doing it and uh, I, I I really enjoy doing podcasting more so than writing I think yeah I agree with you I was I was gonna say because you work with your podcast to a very different schedule than I do but Mm. I would agree with you since I started podcasting my writing has tailed off well now I don't write at all Um, and it's because I enjoy the podcasting so much and I enjoy interacting with people whereas you don't really get that with the writing side do you you don't you don't although I do you know when you you write something and you kind of read it back to yourself after you've proofed it and edited it for so like a number of times and you read about it and you go yeah that, that reads pretty well I do get pleasure out of that yeah. and obviously there's SEO benefits with the written word well there is with podcasting as well um, so it's nice to see that articles I've written like two three years ago are still getting you know like 100 hits yeah. every day yeah, yeah. so there's, there's value in both yeah now I said before to you about how I was rather kind of envious of the way you pick up so many different 
topics and so many different sources of information that was the thing that really gets me i don't know where you find your information do you want to let us in onto a little secret there well as as i mentioned last time i think i I haven't been diagnosed for it yet but i would assume i've got some form of adhd because i i like to go deep and into a subject that catches my catches my eye i'll read up on it i'll watch videos i'll read books and so on kind of get to grips with it collect all this information and then I'll write a blog, po- a long blog post on it. So I did that with the digital minimalism yep. uh, article, which, uh, which I think we're going to discuss in a bit. Yep. And yeah, I mean, obviously we're in an era now where technology is pervading all of our lives. Uh, I think everyone is feeling the overwhelmingness of technology, um, including myself. Uh, and then I just caught a podcast with Carl Newport, who is author of Deep Work, well-known book and so good that they can't ignore you it's another book of his and he was on a podcast discussing his new book digital minimalism yep. and that's kind of uh i went down a rabbit hole <laughs> on that one and uh, ended up kind of looking at digital minimalism as a practice and started integrating it into my own life yeah well i mean that's a good place to start because we're going to talk about cryptocurrency and we're going to talk about privacy, uh, which are two of the subjects which you've kind of done this deep dive on over the last few months. But mm. let's start with the digital minimalism. So why have you gone about disconnecting from certain technologies? And I mean, what's the sort of reasoning behind that? Where, where did your discovery take you when you started looking into it? Yeah, well, even just to take a step back, if you look at the topic of minimalism, which uh, includes digital minimalism. It's like we're in an era now, we're in a consumerism type era. And, you know, in the last couple of years, you've noticed an influx of these kind of external storage places where you can go and put all your stuff that you just don't use anymore. And I'm old enough to remember that 10, 15 years ago, you didn't really see many of those kind of services. So there's a minimalist movement that's kind of taking off now where people are going, hold on a second, do I need all these all this stuff? Do I need all these products? Do I need all these clothes? And people are starting to really evaluate kind of their their habits, their consumption habits and so on, which I think is a really good yes. thing. And then people are starting to look at their digital habits as well, which is what I did. Uh, so it's basically, I just started to consider the technology that I use. Um, like you, I have a new shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. So whenever a new website comes out, a new app, a new service, a new gadget and so on, I'm probably on it. I'll be testing it, I'll be tinkering it, and so yep. on. And then, obviously, that all kind of, it, it all builds up over time. And then you look at the rise of social media and, you know, how we've all had to jump onto these new platforms, and particularly people like you and I who have to understand them for a living. Yep. And then you accumulate all these kind of acquaintances and friends and all these different things. And I just started taking a step back and going, hold on a second, this is, this is technically baggage. I have digital baggage. Mm-hmm. I've got files from like new biz pitches that I was involved in from like 12 years yep. ago, which are completely irrelevant. I don't need them. And yet every time I move like to a new online storage, I'll bring them over with me and they're just there all the time. So I start kind of really evaluating my online presence, the, the kind of storage that I use and so on. And, and, you know, spent probably a good couple of weeks, quite intense looking at reducing it all. And where where did you go from that then? Because, okay, you started off with things, I assume you're talking about, you know, the likes of Dropbox and Google Drive or whatever. Yeah. 
did that go then into social networks as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I looked at it from a number of different standpoints. I mean, let's let's be honest. I really enjoy technology. Yeah. I, I enjoy it for both work and pleasure. So I looked at the technology that's important to me that I use for both work and pleasure. And then I looked at social media in terms of kind of the ROI of my personal use of social media yeah. and, you know, what, kind of what kind of ROI I was getting from it. Something that I wrote in the article is basically when I was younger, if you went on holiday, you might meet some people, have a great time with them on holiday. And then after the holidays over, you go, you, you go your different ways and you're probably not going to see them mm. again. Yet in the era of social media, you'll meet people on holiday. You add them on Facebook or Instagram for the next 10 years. You'll see them play out their lives. Mm. And to me, it's just something that I think we have. We all have so much attention. Mm. And we have a finite number of attention. I just kind of looked at these weak ties that I had in social mm -hmm. media or even the people that I follow who I know who are quite negative, who I kind of look at their content and, you know, it just gives you one of those kind of negative feelings, like kind of either removed them or muted them and yep. so on. Yep. So it was just basically doing a, a complete audit of my digital activity and presence, basically. Yeah. And I mean, you talked then about how, we, the likes of you and me, have to get involved in this stuff because it's our job. We, you know, we make a living from doing this. Yeah. The digital connectivity side of things, I think, is well, it's something that's been playing on my mind certainly the last few months. And when we first mm. tried to record this, it was happened to be um, World Mental Health Day, and I, I, mm -hmm. you know that that side of things, the way the connectivity of everything we do is bad for our mental health. It, it does worry mm. me, and I've gone through a similar process, not as formalized as you, certainly, um, perhaps not to the extent mm -hmm. you have, but I have pulled away from the likes of Facebook and Instagram as well because I guess kind of the novelty's worn off. I'm not seeing value from them, so kind of why be there? I, I wonder whether because we are involved in this, because we are aware of digital minimalism and pulling back from things, we're kind of ahead of the curve of the big wave of what's going to happen in the public over the next couple of years. Do you think that's, uh, do you think that's valid? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's already starting now. I, I mean, the amount of people that I've seen, particularly in the Western world, maybe not so, so much elsewhere that have kind of uh, hashtag delete yeah. Facebook. We're starting to see it now and we've seen a lot more kind of prominent people speak about the mental health issues of social media. I've kind of dealt with it in my own mind of like, to be honest with social media, I don't really, I treat it as a form of entertainment. Yep. So when I see like people who I know on Instagram, like quote unquote, living their best lives, I know that's not their entire life. I know they're just providing a highlight. I know that, you know, they might be have issues in other parts of life. And, you know, I think that's how I kind of look at it. But for people my, like myself, it doesn't worry me. But for younger generation and I bet for, for someone like yourself who has children, then they're very impressionable. So what they see, they haven't kind of got that life experience to understand exactly what social media is. So they take it as a given. And, you know, we're already seeing kind of data now that's showing that the younger generation are having much more uh, prominent mental health yep. issues than, 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 let's say, our generation. So that does concern me. And I think we do need to do something about it. But what that is, I, I'm not too sure because social media is here to stay. It's definitely not going away. No. It'll evolve. But I don't think, uh, I definitely don't think that we're going to go back to the old way. No, no, no. I, I would totally agree with you. So let's let's talk a bit about privacy then, because, the, I mean, these two things are, are so in, inextricably linked, the whole 
disconnecting and the privacy because the privacy side of things is important in whether you should continue to be on any form of digital really yeah so where did your sort of concerns over your online privacy grow from i think it was a collection of a number of different things one i got into cryptocurrency so when you get into cryptocurrency you might spend a little money investing in it so therefore your data suddenly becomes valuable uh from a monetary point of view so you start looking at okay i need to make sure that you know i'm not going to get hacked or you know people are not going to be able to uh, obtain my passwords and th- just things like that and then also with i guess talking about what we were talking about with social media as well obviously in the last few years social media and online world in general has become a bit more toxic shall we say yeah so you start to think okay i don't want my personal details online you know i don't want my house address online um i don't like you want to kind of remove as much personal information that you don't want to share uh, as possible because you know there's been instances where particularly in politics people do what you call doxing yes where they'll fall they'll have an argument and someone will dig up their personal address and put it online That's and then right. people will send pizzas to it and so on so <laughs> which is like yeah it's crazy um so yeah i just started looking into it from that point of view so i again i did a full-on audit i started listening to podcasts from like you know f x fbi agents who now are like kind of security specialists and so on right and just a complete audit of my kind of online activity once again just looking at the hardware i use the software how i browse the internet what's tracking me the passwords that i use how i you know how i protect my passwords how i use my smartphone as well because like paul like a, a smartphone is essentially just a, a, a supercomputer in our pocket that's giving off so much information about our whereabouts mm-hmm. about what we're doing um it's got a number of different sensors on that apps used to be able to tap into without us knowing but apple's if you use apple like i do apple's clamped down a lot on like third-party apps and so on now like google the amount of information that it shares with uh, kind of other advertising partners i think they've got like something like 300 and something advertising partners that they share our information with right amazon facebook you know everything and i think and i genuinely believe over time that our data will become valuable from a monetary point of view to ourselves i.e we'll be able to earn money from our data okay much like you know you look at facebook and google two of the largest companies in the world how do they make money well it's through our data sure so why in the future can we as individuals not be able to make money from our own data and i think we will be able to i i mean it's it's around the corner it's definitely coming but it's a matter of when i guess yeah yeah so it sounds like you kind of went down the rabbit hole on this whole privacy issue i mean when you did that what did you find that really disturbed you i mean all of these platforms you mentioned there facebook google amazon apple i mean they're they're the kind of the big players in the tech world yeah which of those was was the biggest sinner when it comes to online privacy yeah well they were all pretty bad uh apple's not so bad because apple is not a data company i.e they don't make money uh, yeah. through our data yeah. uh, they make money through selling us iphones and macbooks and so on and Apple has kind of publicly spoken out about they want to improve our privacy and security. So I'm totally on board with Apple. But when it comes to the likes of uh, Facebook uh, and Google, we we give it so much information. We give both of them so much information. Like yeah. with Facebook, we tell it who our friends are. We tell it our likes, our favorite music, food, 
you know, who our family members are and, you know, all this type, we, we give it our phone number, our email address. Mm -hmm. It knows what our face looks like and it shares that data. It tracks us across a web. So it knows what we're searching for online, the websites we visit and so on. Likewise, Google as well. Google knows everything about us from using maps to Gmail. It yep. scans our emails and so on. Yep. Now, I realize it can be a bit, you know, I'm sitting here with my tinfoil hat on. <laughs> um, but w w when you go down this rabbit hole, it, it is surprising about how much data and information we about ourselves that we give away. Yeah. So it, it, it is rightly a, a rabbit hole. But it, even if you look at the Edward Snowden revelations, literally the security services in the US and in the UK, they're searching everybody's online activity. And as uh -huh. soon as they've got, they've got an algorithm that like, let's say I put assassinate Obama in an email, yeah. they would be able to pick that up and yeah. search my emails. Now, obviously I'm not going to assassinate Obama and I'm not going to do <laughs> anything untoward, but it's just, you know, when you go down that rabbit hole, you're just like, whoa, everything is being tracked. Yeah, everything yeah, yeah. is kind of searchable. So out of those, so out of Facebook and Google, which which did you feel was worse? They're both pretty bad. Uh, well, they're both very bad. <laughs> I would say Google, purely because of the number of different apps and services it has. So, yeah. you know, Gmail reads your email. Google Maps tracks everywhere you go, even when you're not using Maps. Google Chrome uh, tracks everything that you do when you're browsing the web. Um, so, the, the, like, Google has its fingers in many different pies that uh -huh. it can track you. And so for someone like me who says, well, I don't really use Facebook anymore, partly because of privacy, partly because yeah. of novelty worn off. But then I am so immersed in Google's world from, yeah. you know, Google Drive, all my business is on Google. I use Gmail. I've got an Android phone. I yeah. use the Chrome <laughs> browser. I mean, everything. So uh, <laughs> Google can do what it likes with me, basically. Yeah, yeah. And even though you've deleted your facebook account they're still tracking you oh, of course yeah yeah absolutely. Like they're still you know tracking where you are on the web and so so forth yeah it's all dependent on the person and it's all dependent on kind of what the kind of cia would call a threat model right. in terms of how you know what your biggest threat is so if you were like you know you're a new york times investigative reporter for the russian intelligence service like you know your threat model is going to be pretty high but for people like you and i not so much <laughs> unless you have a secret uh <laughs> A secret side job that you're not telling us about, Paul. But. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, a few years ago, or even not that closer than that ago, I, I would have, I mean, aware of all the, the online privacy stuff, but my attitude was very much, well, to be honest, I've got nothing to hide. What difference does it matter? But I mean, your your view is it matters a lot and we, we should be caring about this stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. It's, I think so very much. I think... Um, you know, what's gone on in the last few years in terms of, you know, the the furore around the Cambridge Analytics Analytica scandal and, you know, what's going on with social media algorithms and so on. So I think, you know, partly it's because we've given access to all of our data just purely for convenience that it's partly responsible for what's gone on. And I think, as I've mentioned, like, I think in the future, we're going to want more control over our own personal data and yeah. use it how we see fit. Yeah. So how did you go about doing, undergoing this process and cleaning your digital history up and getting rid of stuff? I mean, like you say, it must have taken weeks, months, maybe. I mean, how did you even start and where did you go and what did you do? Well, I, I kept a record of everything that I was doing just for my own benefit. And so I could write that, write that article in that podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was basically, 
uh, reading and listening to people who are smarter than me in this area and mm -hmm. like listening to their advice. So I looked at it from a hardware point of view. Then I looked at uh, from a software point of view. So things like browsers, which browser leaks the most data? Well, Chrome, yeah. obviously okay. it's owned by Google. Mm -hmm. And then kind of looking at email as well, which emails leak the most data? Gmail, it's owned by Google. <laughs> See, seeing a, a common thread coming here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then started looking at my passwords and the types of passwords I was using and using, then I looked at using a password manager. Uh, so basically it creates long strings yeah. of passwords for me that, you know, it's got all the symbols and the numbers in and so on. Yeah. Looked at two factor authentication. So it's like the second way of verifying when you log into a, a website. Do you use mm -hmm. two factor authentication at all? I, yes, yeah, funny. I use it on some things, but not all. And I know I should use it on all. Funny enough, talking mm. about Google, AdWords is now prompting you for two-factor authentication um, right. which is interesting that google would be doing that yeah but yeah I'm, I'm not as tight as i should be but i do use a password manager and have used one for oh, a number of years now i use LastPass, but yeah i mean they're you know it's the same thing i don't know any of my passwords you don't yeah, need to exactly well look that's the thing there's this there's two elements to it there's security and there's privacy when it comes to security google is top notch they're mm. really good at security but when it comes to privacy <laughs> They're not good at all. So for example, mm. like, so I pay to use G Suite. And even though I'm a paying customer, Google still reads my emails. So right. that just didn't sit right with me. Like, why uh -huh. should I pay you to use my data and read my emails? No, I, I would agree with you. I think um, it, it's not really good for anyone. Let's switch across to cryptocurrency. So Facebook is trying to break into the cryptocurrency world with, with Libra. Yeah. Where do you start with this one? Because it seems like an awful, awful thing to get involved in. If, if I was going to buy cryptocurrency, yeah. I think the last place I would go would be Facebook, just yeah. for the exact reasons we have talked about. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people in our side of the world think that too. Yeah. Because if you look at what Facebook has done to kind of politics and culture in the last few mm. years, I certainly don't want it tampering with kind of finance either because no, like I, I'm a big proponent of cryptocurrency. I think, I think it's the future, what that future looks like. I'm not too sure, but when you've got a company with, you know, 2.2 billion members or whatever the current kind of user rate is, if they can provide a currency to all those members, then they could essentially become the world's currency. The world's global yeah, currency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It scares the life out of me, I have to admit. But then I've I seen, seen just the last couple of days, PayPal have pulled out of um, any sorts of agreements with, with Facebook over their cryptocurrency. So mm. uh, I haven't read into the reasons why that is specifically, but yeah. maybe it's a sign that that planning from Facebook might not make it through as you, well, as you kind of hope it wouldn't, if I'm honest. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I saw that too. And I think... Um... They've got a difficult job on the hand purely because of their their, their current reputation. If this mm. was like five, six years ago, I'm 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 sure it would have been pushed through no problem because you know ev everyone loved Facebook at the time. But given yeah. what's gone on in the last few years, I think they may struggle. And I think Visa and Mastercard, I think they've pulled out as well. Yeah. And the basically the Libra currency that was. It was what you call a stable coin, i.e. it's right. supposed to be stable. So it's pegged to 
a number of, a basket of currencies. So it was going to be pegged to the US dollar, the British pound, the Singaporean dollar, and some other currencies I can't remember. So however they move in the markets, yeah. the Libra currency would move as well. So it would be, it would kind of move as these currencies moved. Whereas okay. Bitcoin is a kind of standalone currency on its own. It's not dependent on anything or anyone, um, which is quite interesting. So let's go back to, to basics a bit with cryptocurrency, because there will be people listening to this who don't really understand cryptocurrency, what it is, what the impact could be. So let's start off with some of the basics. What what basically is cryptocurrency? So crypto is, it's it's like a new form of money. It's a mm -hmm. new form of kind of thinking about money, storing money, transferring money, and kind of dealing with money. And it's based purely on data. So this is why I think data is important. And yep. it's usually run on blockchain, meaning that every transaction is uh, recorded and verifiable. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what it is. Um, it's, a very, it's a very complex area because it brings in disciplines from multiple uh, area. So obviously you've got to understand money, you've got to understand mm -hmm. economics, you've got to understand uh, blockchain, you've got to understand data science, you've got to understand game theory, governance, and all, all sorts of different avenues that it's just kind of, I've had to wrap my head around. Yeah. And there's different cryptocurrencies out there. The most famous one and the first one was obviously Bitcoin. Yeah. And then you've got the likes of Ethereum, um, Litecoin, Mm -hmm. um, Monero and so on. And they all have different uses. And how does that work? The different uses? Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. So, so Bitcoin is, it was the first one. So it's built on old technology. It's built on okay. old blockchain technology. But the good thing about that is it's very hard to change and it's almost impossible to hack. So in the last 10 years, Bitcoin has been never been hacked. And okay. the more transactions and the more people that like come into the network, the more difficult it becomes because it has that network effect. Whereas there's other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, it was set up, I think around six or seven years ago, and that is a more flexible blockchain. You can do more things with it, but it's, it's easier to potentially hack. Okay. So th there's kind of trade-offs. And then you've got like a privacy coin called Monero. So that's all about privacy. So basically I could send you money on the internet using Monero and no one would be able to trace that transaction. Sure. Okay. Whereas with Bitcoin, if I sent you some Bitcoin from my wallet and it went to your wallet, mm -hmm. people could probably find that, that transaction and kind of link the two together. Whereas with Monero, it's, it's a privacy coin. So it's all done in private. Okay. So why would I, as an individual, bother getting involved with cryptocurrency? What's the benefit to me of, of even you know, investigating it alone, buying any. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, because there's lots of different cryptocurrencies, I'll speak from a, a Bitcoin point of view. Yeah. Okay. So with Bitcoin, the way that the data science is in the blockchain is that there'll only be 21 million Bitcoins ever mined. There mm -hmm. can't be any more. 4 million of those have been lost in the early days, you know, when Bitcoin was worth like very little, people just yeah. lost it. They had it on the hard drives and so on. So there'll never, ever be more than, let's say, 17 million Bitcoins. With a fiat currency, i.e. like the US dollar or the British pound, we all know what happens in a downturn. What happens? Well, basically, the central, central banks start printing off more money. Yeah. 
So they print it, which essentially devalues that currency. Yep. So the more they print off, the more you devalue it. With Bitcoin, you can't, you can't print any more off. It'll never lose its value like that because it'll never be saturated. It'll never be inflated like you can with fiat money. Mm -hmm. And then the libertarians among us will look at Bitcoin as a way of transacting without the, the role of the government. Mm -hmm. So if I could send you Bitcoin, it doesn't have to pass through a bank. It doesn't have to be verified by a bank. It's just purely peer-to-peer. And then on top of that, you've got things like it's very divisible. So, for example, people talk about micropayments. So let's say that you, do you, do you drive, Paul? I do, absolutely, yeah. So you pay insurance yep. on your car mm -hmm. every year. So even when your car is sat outside your house and you're not driving it, you're still paying for that insurance for theft. Sure. But you're also paying for if you have a crash, even though that you're not driving it. Yeah. So the where cryptocurrency can come in is could be that when you get into your car, it starts quickly insuring you for when you're driving. As soon as you stop driving, it stops as well. If that makes sense. It does. In a very strange way, it does. <laughs> so what's the impact of cryptocurrency on the business world potentially on especially well, is there any impact? On, on the sort of marketing side of things? Or is that too far removed to make that sort of comparison? I'm, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Here's the thing, like, obviously you've seen the way that the internet and social media and digital communications has changed kind of news, media, marketing, and so on. It's fundamentally disrupted it. Yeah, yeah. We'll never go back to normal. It's only going to become more complex, more disruptive, more fragmented, and so on. And that was just... That was the disruption of, you could say it was the disruption of media mm -hmm. and communications. So what happens when technology can disrupt what actual money is? That to me is quite a scary thought because if we can change what money is, then all the power structures, all the banks and so on, they could be completely disrupted. So it could be the biggest disruption that we've seen from technology today, bigger than, than the internet itself. Okay. And some people do predict that. Or it, it might not be. It, it's just an interesting kind of area to watch and find out, I guess. Yeah, and I guess the way you the way you sort of went about that was to think, well, if I want to watch this, I've got to get involved in it and learn as much as I can and, and invest in some crypto and you know see where it goes from there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, it's a fascinating area. Obviously, Bitcoin... It's the it's the best investment that you could have made in the last 10 years mm -hmm. out of anything. Mm -hmm. So the growth has been phenomenal. Um, it's currently, um, I think the market cap is a, around about $185 billion. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind it's 10 years old. Uh, nobody owns it. There's no central point of failure. There's no, there's no headquarters. There's no London office, New York office. Like it's just a distributed ledger, which is kind of fed into by people who believe in it and who invest in it. And people talk about like, is, is Bitcoin just like the MySpace and is there going to be another, you know, will there be a Facebook of Bitcoin coming up? Sure. But Bitcoin isn't a platform, it's a protocol. So it's a bit, it's, it's, it's like what the internet is. The internet's a pro protocol and, and so is Bitcoin. We see, I mean, it's a fascinating area. We're sort of out of time. So I'm just going to say to people listening, if you've got any more interest in crypto privacy, digital minimalism, the best place to go probably is to Steve's own podcast, which is called the New Influence Podcast. And I know you did a great episode on 
cryptocurrency a little while back. Mm. Where can people get hold of you if they want to talk to you about some of these issues in a bit more detail? Uh, yeah, they can reach me at stevedavies.com or on Twitter at stevedavies. Well, thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate your time. Um, absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, we will have to do this again sometime. Thank you. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. I, I know I've made it now because I've been on the Paul Sutton podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Cheers, mate. <laughs> You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered, or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter, where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.